0: So what will you learn on today's show? Well, hopefully you'll learn what it takes to reach the top. We're talking about a recent piece on the struggle of minor league baseball players, which is a lot more painful this year than it is normally. And it's normally very painful. We're doing that on today's Money with Friends featuring thought leader Tate Frazier from the Pushing Through podcast. Let's go. Welcome to the Money with Friends Podcast, coming to you live from my mom's half-finished basement in Palm Springs, California, where we make the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihai. And I am Tate
1: Frazier from Los Angeles, California, and I can't wait, Joe. I'm glad to be back.
0: (laughs) I am glad. This is is your curtain call, your final time (laughs) here. I'm so sad, but we're about to have some fun because this is the podcast where we talk recent stories ripped from the financial press. Today, we're going to tackle one on minor league baseball. Not only do we read them like some podcasts, but we dive into how they affect your wallet and what you can do to invest, save, pay down debt more effectively. And if that's not enough, we'll also share a big idea at the end of the show that you can take with you to be better with money the rest of your day, all in usually less than 20 minutes. Today's show brought to you by Tiller Money. With Tiller you can optimize your financial life in Google Sheets with fast, automatic transaction imports, easy templates, and a free 30-day trial. If you need a better way to manage your money and have a budget, head to TillerHQ.com forward slash MWF. Tate Frazier here one more time. I'm crying. People listening, they, they, they can't <laughs> me see too. me. I
1: cried before I got on the air. That <laughs> yeah, was too much.
0: Got it all the way and now he's got his game face on right
1: yeah i'm locked in now i'm ready to go joe
0: ready to go all right we're gonna talk minor league baseball let's see which one of our friends is gonna help us kick off today's show hey this is chris from popcorn finance just like hanging out and chatting about the news That's why I tune into Money with Friends. All right. Today's piece comes to us also from ESPN, like our piece yesterday. This is written by Anthony Eleveri. And I love this piece that Anthony wrote called Selling Stretchy Pants, Driving for Uber. Without minor league baseball, many players must take on second jobs. Anthony writes, when the minor league baseball season was canceled on June 30th, hundreds of players were left scrambling. Unlike their major league counterparts, minor leaguers aren't unionized or protected by federal minimum wage wage law most of them earn low pay during the season players in class a made on average five thousand eight hundred dollars last year and don't get compensated at all during the offseason which means many already live below the poverty line when i was playing in cedar rapids uh, iowa a concession stand worker told me that teenagers in the u.s could make more babysitting than i did playing in a ball said carlos sinuega a pitcher in the twins organization tate
1: yep yet Sinawega is one of the lucky ones he still has a job for now in May hundreds of minor league players were released by their teams in June the MLB draft was shortened from 40 rounds to 5 the Twins and other MLB teams have committed to paying their minor leaguers a weekly stipend of $400 and providing benefits throughout August but even that lifeline runs out in a few weeks many players have turned to more than a baseball a nonprofit that has provided money and advice among other things to more than 1,000 minor leaguers and at the end of September the professional baseball agreement which regulates the relationship. Between major league teams and minor league affiliates will expire. Mm. MLB has threatened to eliminate as many as 42 minor league teams for the 2021 season, which could end the careers of hundreds of more players.
0: Oh, just and, imagine uh, that, man! Mm. You're, you're you. Th- this is your dream. You built up to it, and through no fault of your team, your te- of yours, your team goes under. It Reminds me of. Um, I don't remember if you remember that when the IHL blew up in uh, in, uh, in 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 hockey land. Just, and I'm a big Kalamazoo Wings fan being from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, and when the IHL blew up and went bankrupt, you saw this similar thing happen to a lot of minor league players. Nowhere to go. The reason I wanted to talk about this today, Tate, is because today's today's your 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 last day on here. I don't want to talk about stretchy pants or making fifty eight hundred <laughs> bucks, but I do want to talk about what minor league players go through. This idea of chasing a dream, and your dream is not unlike a lot of dreams that a lot of people a lot of people uh, have. Um, mm-hmm. I want to go through the career of Tate Frazier because I find this so interesting. So in in college. Like these baseball players playing baseball in college, playing baseball since they were little kids. Uh, What was your background? Was your goal to have a microphone in front of you the whole time?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, my story is I'm from Henderson, North Carolina, small town in North Carolina. My dad is, uh, you know, a coach. My mom is a teacher, um, first grade teacher, second grade teacher for 30 years. And my brother's four years older than me. My dad was my brother's baseball coach. I grew up in a baseball family, which, you know, sprinkled out until we played basketball. I mean, we were just driving around going to tournaments everywhere. I was a sports kid uh, my whole life, but I was also obsessed with SportsCenter um charlie rose
0: did, did you think that you might one day be one of these minor league baseball players we're talking about
1: yeah, well, I mean, so I used to go to the Durham Bulls, uh, which is, yeah. you know, Bull Durham. I used to go to the Durham Bulls camp. I used to go to Myrtle Beach Pelicans games when I was a little bit, a little kid. If you've seen Eastbound and Down, they, yeah. they play at the Myrtle Beach Pelicans stadium. This, that's where I used to go to games. Yeah, I uh, I wanted to be a, uh, a Hall of—my my uncle played at Carolina. My great-uncle played for the Orioles organization. Like, I I grew up wanting to be B.J. Surhoff or Brady Anderson or Cal Ripken Jr. Or, you know, the list goes on Pudge—I was a catcher, so Pudge Rodriguez is one of my favorite— Players. So, I grew up in a sports family, right? I heard a lot of stories about the ABA um, kind of growing up in North Carolina. I heard a lot of college basketball stories and. I love stories. Right. I love telling stories. I love hearing stories. And I wanted to be I was the youngest in my family. And, uh, you know, my mom would always say I was the boy who cried wolf because my great uncle could tell me a story about the Yankees. And when I told the story, you know, a million other things had happened, you know, these <laughs> <incredulous> <laughs> moments. Um, but it was way more drama. Right. It you was made it more exciting. More- Exactly, exactly. And that was sort of like, you know, looking back, that was probably the first time that I realized that I wanted to be somewhere in this profession. Uh, When I was in high school, you know, I was a valedictorian, uh, made all A's, you know, had very strict parents, just was very locked in and focused. But I was also watch TV all the time, wanted to, you know, write movies, write books, you know, wanted to do all this sort of stuff. But sports was kind of my foundation, right? That was the way that I could relate and talk to, I feel like, you know, anyone because sports brings people together in my Mind. Um, and then when I got to North Carolina, my brother's uh, best friend was about to graduate. My brother's four years older. He just graduated from Carolina. He went to ESPN, and uh, I took over an internship at the Dave Glenn radio show.
0: Ah.
1: I and uh, and I was just an intern doing research, you know, cutting tape at the end of the day of those types of things. But I got it. Yeah,
0: I want to so stop. Ahead. right. I, I, I actually want to stop right there because I want to get in your head at that age, mm-hmm. because if we've got people that either have kids that are that age or if we have people, we have some young listeners that are listening. So you're you're valedictorian. You love sports but you're very creative. Like I take those three things and, and, and gel them all together. And for a lot of people, you know, you talk about getting into a quote, serious career, like becoming a doctor, a lawyer, a, 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 whatever it might be. Heck, you're valedictorian, mm-hmm. dude. You could probably get into any of those schools to do any of those things. Did you, when you went to college then, did you go immediately then into media?
1: I went in immediately uh, into journalism. I knew that I wanted to be. So so Charlie Rose was from my hometown, and I know Charlie Rose is not revered in the same way he was at the time that I was going yeah, to Yeah, a
0: couple of years but- ago, right?
1: Yeah. A couple of years ago, but, but at the time uh, he was from my hometown and I saw that success. he went to Duke. So I had, obviously, you know, he was an enemy of mine, but he was also a success story from my small town where I could see that you could go the broadcast route and have a real story to tell, because you kind of go from this area, understanding that small town world to, you know, New York city or Los Angeles or Chicago or whatever it may be. Um, but the, the jumping into the radio aspect of it, I was such a fan. Right. And I think That is still something that I lean on today, like that, that I wish I had almost uh, as much as I did at a certain point. Because when you get into media, as you know, like you get a little bit weathered by, um, Reality, Right. I mean, not everything is as like Michael Jordan to me was a mythical God. Like everything that Michael Jordan did was perfection. And then as I got older, you learn nuances of, of people and you learn that not everyone's a good guy and a bad guy. It's not all that one-to-one. Right. So in sports media, you have to learn that as well. And that was the biggest transition.
0: Well, and there's also the barrage of the business aspect, right? Mm -hmm. Just when you're a kid, Hey, this is fun. The Detroit Tigers playing on TV. That's fantastic. Dad, why do they stink? Well, the reason they stink is because they're not going to do a lot more money for people. And then then you get into the, the, the money aspect of the sport. And sometimes that kills it for you, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I think for me, it was like a journalist is objective, right? I mean, objectivity is uh, subjective, but it's it's uh, like I went from uh, the David Glenn radio show. I was really close friends with James Michael McAdoo, who was on the North Carolina basketball team. Yeah. He was a freshman. We were the same age. He was the number one player in the country. Uh, one of my good friends was a manager on the basketball team. And, anyways, all this is happening my freshman year. Uh, Kendall Marshall, the point guard of North Carolina, breaks his wrists. Uh, going into the elite eight and they're going to play Kansas North Carolina no longer has a point guard. The world does not know this yet. I was working at the radio show. I'm friends with James Michael. James Michael tells me uh, Kendall Marshall is not going to play. Right. So this is like one of these uh, moments in time where it's like you're a journalist, but you're a friend and you're also a fan. Right. So there's like three different levels of this. So I look at James Michael and I'm like, as a journalist this is a scoop. Like I I could, this could really be beneficial for me, but like I get the approval from him first and I get the approval from Kendall's dad. And then I tell inside Carolina, um, which is a a website in North Carolina, like a scout.com website that I'd always read and wanted to work for. I give them that scoop. They vet it. They report it. ESPN picks it up. Kendall Marshall is not going to play the Elite Eight. That got me an internship with Inside Carolina. That was like my my foot in the door there. Um, and then I was a beat writer for baseball, football and basketball. Did, did, yeah. did
0: you? Once again, I want to slow you down, big guy, because there's so many moves there <laughs> that I think that people can learn from. N- n- yeah. n- number one is uh, clearly networking is important. I mean and from mm-hmm. from the get go you've known that networking because you said this is my friend this is somebody else who's my friend like how big has networking been through all of this stuff
1: I would never, I never, I guess, would call it, I never called it networking, right? I just had, uh, and, and obviously it is networking, It just it, I'm from where I'm from, my mom and dad, it was yes sir, no ma'am, look everybody in the eye, ask them about their selves, you are second, you know, you put people first, that was just kind of where I came from, right? And as I got into the real world, you can't always be yes sir, no ma'am, and you kind of find your ways to maneuver, but that was how green I was. So when I came in at 18 and I'm working at a radio station in Raleigh, the fact that someone's like, go run and get us coffee. And I'm like, yes, sir. You know, people, people were a little bit, you know, confused by that, especially, you know, looking like I was and I went to Carolina and I was a freshman in Carolina. So like, why does this kid want to work? I'm confused by that. Um, And I think that was sort of a weird thing with me too. Like the conundrum of like, I don't really know what his motivation is. And my motivation was to basically be able to have a say, right? Like I would always talk about sports with all my friends, but you know, it would always be like, okay, Tate, you know, okay, Tate, whatever, you know, like you're, you're, you're taking it too far, whatever, whatever. Um, and I wanted to be like, no, I am actually informed enough to have this conversation. I know the people that are involved. I will speak and get to the line. I will not cross that line. I know where that line is. I, you know, had a love for journalism and, you know, like uh, Murphy Brown and like the old like net, is like one of my favorite movies and like the slippery slope and all that sort of stuff so like i had all these uh like journalistic ideals that were in my head as well so like the networking played a part into it but the fact that i had some weird goal about uh actually doing journalism and i think it's it's really funny because if people knew me and see the character that i play now they're like he's playing a fanboy so how like how is he a journalist like what is what is what what has gone wrong here uh and the answer to that is i worked for bill simmons yeah Um, yeah and i want to get to
0: that next i actually want to get to that next but i do have i do have one other thing that i wanted to ask you about which is which is when it comes to all of all of this stuff. I mean, this is where the minor league baseball player uh, piece comes in, right? Where, where yep. I, I wanted to start with that for a reason because you're doing all this stuff. Minor league baseball players make fifty eight hundred bucks. When my daughter went to uh, 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 went to college, she had two things she was interested in. One was journalism, and the other one was becoming a neurosurgeon. We went to the Department of Labor and looked at what those two things pay. She immediately said, "I don't want to be a journalist because because they, they're not going." to make any money now Mm -hmm. she's back in that area now but she knows like you know how hard it is and how much Mm -hmm. you have to work but did you have any idea just how slim this ladder is like major league baseball has this very slim ladder and also did you know how little the pay was as you go up the ladder don't get me wrong bill simmons i think is doing okay I I think
1: what I had was uh, delusions of grandeur would probably be the the proper term of it. And I think that I also I had because I came from such a small town and I was, you know, valedictorian. And I, I know that sounds a lot better than reality, but it's just like where I'm from. I had this idea that I could go get in that top percent of the career because like I would do whatever it took in the sense that like, I'll go report that I'll do like my, ego. I was like, I don't care about my ego. I just want to be, you know, Dan Patrick. I want to be Rich Eisen. I want to be Stuart Scott. I want to be, uh, you know, at ESPN in Bristol. And that was sort of like my goal. And I mean, until I graduated, that was my goal. I mean, I, I was the final, I was in the top three to go to Bristol for the, the content associate program, which is like their cap program. And I didn't get it. And that was a full-time job going out of North Carolina. Um, And I was devastated because like I had been in broadcast journalism, my, you know, peers that were a year older than me, two years older than me, three years old, I'd seen them all get this same gig. I thought I was in line to get that same gig and I didn't get it. And that was the first time that I had ever had to deal with uh, everything that I was trying to manifest uh, was not going to happen. And it led me to taking an internship at Grantland, which is Bill's former website at ESPN, and deciding to drive across the country for an internship that was going to pay me, you know, uh, I, I can't even remember how horrible the pay was, but it wasn't enough to live in Los Angeles. And I was driving Uber on the side, right? But like that was, and I was couch surfing, like that was how I drove my car out there. I was driving Uber and then I was couch surfing. And I knew that I was going to do that for five months. And then I was going to hopefully get offered a PA job or something at the end of that five month period. I was going to try to earn that. And then it turns out at the end of five months, Bill Simmons called me on a Friday and said, do you want to be my podcast producer? Cause I had gone over to his house and delivered all of his things after he got fired. So it's like, I had these like windows of time where I was like, I can do this for a certain amount of time. And if it didn't work, like let's say I was at Grantland and Grantland folded and I didn't get hired by Bill Simmons. And I was just flat on my back in LA who knows? Like, I, I don't know if I would have gone into more of a news or political realm or, or, or whatever it may be, but it, or or I would have just, you know, kept sports myself and said, I need to go back to school. My brother's a lawyer. Maybe I would go be a lawyer. Like you said, I mean, there's this, it's not the, uh, like my parents have looked at me like I'm crazy the whole time. Like when I said I was going to drive to Los Angeles for an internship, when I had a job offer in Charlotte, that's a real job. That's not necessarily the smartest decision. Um, but I, I don't know what it is. Like, I mean, I'm very fortunate in the sense that like I have been able to make, I worked in college so I made money. So I had some money too. That that was saved up a little bit. Um, so I, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's all decisions that are made over like a time period. I gave myself like a certain amount of window, right? Like I would yeah. do this for a certain amount of time. Yeah. And I think trying to, trying to map it out in your head and also trying not to, uh, gets not try not to be so hard on yourself because like it is, like you said, it's a sliver and it's not because of the work. It's not because of, uh, anything. I'm very fortunate that I got a great opportunity and I, you know, it, it, the, the luck that is involved in me and having Bill Simmons look at me and say, I want that kid to work for me and, and be the first employee of my new company and be the producer of my podcast. And I will respect his opinions and let him research for me. Like that's a once in a lifetime situation. I don't. I don't even like to give people advice because of how ridiculous that is. Like when Bill called me and told me that he wanted me to be his producer, I I asked him if he was kidding. You know, I, even, I, you know what I mean, like I really did. I, I was like, "What are you talking about?" Um, because that that was what it was yeah. uh, to me. Um, but also, I will say, like, the greatest thing that you can ever, or only advice I can give to anyone is that when I was in a TV, like at school when we had our TV show, I wanted to learn how to run. You know, I wanted to be the TD. I wanted to be the director. I wanted to, to run audio. I wanted to be, uh, you know, producing a certain block i wanted to be the ep of the show like i wanted to do every single hat or at least know what that hat does so that if i was in a room and like i was at espn and they were like we need someone to td this i could be like i can cut cameras and I would know what it looked like, and, I, and that's how it kind of happened at Grantland. I started cutting cameras for podcasts, and then they're like, well, do you know how to edit Premiere? And I'm like, yeah, and then I'm editing podcasts, and then they're like, do you know how to use Pro Tools? And I'm like, no, but you can teach me, and then, you know, Joe Fuentes, uh, who ended up going over with Bill as well, was like, I'll teach you Pro Tools, so two days I spent at home editing podcasts that were already edited, then listening back to make sure that they were, you know, edited right compared to the real version of it, and then they started giving me edits for the audio, so... Then when I can edit and cut and do everything, then I'm not just standing there with, you know, my hands in my pants. not doing
0: it. Well, there's a power to that tape because we talk about this when people want to go into real estate, right? You, you often hire people to do all these jobs, but until you have put a toilet in yourself, <laughs> it, it's, it's easy to get ripped off. And just the, yeah. the power, by the way, of saying yes to, I mean, Bill must have seen the fact that you were the guy that goes, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Mm-hmm. Fine. Give me more. Mm-hmm. What's it like working with Bill Simmons?
1: I think it's great uh, in the empowerment uh, department of things, right? Because like you just said, I mean, I went to Bill's house on a Friday. I delivered him posters because um, he when I was driving out to L.A. for my internship, May 13th uh, was the date. I got a call from Malie Rubin, who's still at, uh, at the Ringer. She was a Grantland at the time. She said, hey, Bill just got fired by ESPN. I don't know if you've seen this. I was in a blockbuster in El Paso, Texas with my girlfriend at the time. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and she was like, I think we should turn around right? Like, I think that we should turn around. This is not, and uh, I went to Grantland. Bill wasn't there the five months I was there, but he had heard about me from, you know, Jacoby, David Jacoby. who's was on jail and Jacoby. Now he had heard there's a PA that's like working hard and whatever. So when I went over there, he was like, I kind of heard about you. What do you want to do? I told him I wanted to do everything for myself. And uh, I didn't know what I meant when I said that, but I just remember him asking me that. And that was the first thing that popped in my head. And that was on Friday. And it was his 46th birthday. He gave me the book of basketball. I told him, I read it to make sure it was right. And, uh, and he thought that was hilarious that I was like that much of a basketball historian that I was like, I don't trust him to know the, the story of basketball. <laughs> you don't trust uh, Bill Simmons.
0: Yeah, I did not at all. <laughs>
1: the, the Boston uh, Celtics perspective of basketball is not something that I, I put at the top of my list. Um, but we, uh, we came to an agreement that we both love the ABA. Uh, we talked about Terry Pluto's book, uh, Loose Balls. Anyway, this was all just a Friday. He wrote me a really nice note. He gave me $100 for helping move things. And then he called me on that Monday, said, hey, i got an audio board over here it's not all set up i drove over there i set it all up we tested out and then that tuesday morning you know i i recorded his podcast and did the first 353 bill simmons podcast of the new bill simmons podcast and launched 30 podcasts uh at the ringer with bill and you know i didn't i wanted to be a tv writer on bill simmons hbo show and uh, that was what my first job offer was and i ended up being the podcast producer and launching this whole network and uh i mean bill i'm very grateful for bill like i said i I got a great opportunity and he believed in me and uh he's always even even when people would push back on me early on i had a lot of confidence issues like talking on the air because i would say something and it would just you know it's on reddit and it's reddit bill simmons and they're like this guy's the biggest idiot in the world how do we get him off the mic and uh you know i mean bill bill encouraged me he's like you know you grew up on tobacco road you know basketball talk about it like don't be afraid to talk about it like you have you have an expertise like don't don't let these people get in your head about it that, and I think that's why he's been so successful i mean obviously there's a lot of quote unquote haters and pushback that happens out in the world and you just have to know that you're coming from a good place with what you're saying you're not trying to say anything malicious and you're also um, unique, right? I mean, you're yeah. unique in your own voice, and we are all unique in our own voices. And I think that's the empowerment of Bill, right. He, he empowers people to be themselves.
0: I feel like not to switch metaphors, but you know, Jim Rome, have a take. Don't suck. Uh, yeah. When we uh, uh, last question and 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 this is this is something that uh, I think also affects a lot of people listening. When do you realize it's time to go? Time, time for you to go and 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 do your own thing to create the figures network, begin uh, mm-hmm. begin rolling out your new stuff. When did you know that it was time to time to move on?
1: I, I uh, it so I spent four years with Bill. Um, I graduated May tenth, twenty fifteen. I drove out to Los Angeles May eleventh, twenty fifteen. I was hired by Bill Simmons October twenty fifteen, and I worked with him until October of twenty nineteen. And during that whole process, it was a, uh, I, I told myself when I started, I didn't want to be a podcast producer per se. And I said, I was going to give myself, my dad, I, I give credit, to my dad, I talked to him on the phone. He said, give it, you know, a good college try, basically give it four years, right? Like we, you don't know what it's going to look like. Bill's, you know, invested in you give it a real try. And I, I did it for four years. Uh, I did Bill's podcast for three of those four years. When I kind of, when he grad, I graduated from producing his podcast because I had yeah. so many other pods produced and I was doing a talent and everything. When I like made that step, then I wasn't working with Bill every single day. And that was sort of what I came to do anyway uh, at the Ringer. And once I was already independently operating as a talent and producer within the Ringer world and I was detached from Bill, that was sort of the only reason that I would be there, to be honest with you. I mean, it was to sure. work directly with Bill. Uh, and once like it, it kind of got further away from that, I wanted to write some things that were not just sports stuff. Um, if I did that under my current ringer agreement, they would own it. I didn't want to have that situation come out and put everybody in a weird spot. I'd been there exactly four years. I had this like weird moment of clarity where it was just like. You know i got this great opportunity and now some other people can step into the ringer doors and bill can help build them up like he did for me and i can go out on my own and try to build something that i'm proud of right i mean i am proud of the ringer and i'm proud of being a part of it but um it's not my thing that's bill's thing um and i'm excited to uh like you said with figures and yeah uh, with some of the other projects that we're working on now i'm excited to kind of have some ownership and to point to and say hey i made that that's my baby and i'm proud of it and uh, i know bill we'll be excited when I have that to, to show him as well, because uh, it's good to see someone out of the nest.
0: Well, it's a great story. And I saw this uh, minor league thing and, mm. and I'm flipping through what should we do with tape for his last appearance here? And I thought, what a great thing to show you working your way through the minors and making all these moves. And I think just this, the stories around being the person that says yes about the power of networking. And I love the fact that you don't call it network because networking, because I think people that really rocket networking don't, think of it as networking. They just, they try to know people and they try to get in the middle, you know, be in the play, right? Be a, be a Mm -hmm. piece of the play. So I think that's all powerful stuff too. Hey, in in just a second, we're actually going to wrap this long show up and have our takeaway. But uh, first I want to say a big thanks to everybody who's used Tiller money, or at least tried it out to manage their money. This is what I use to manage my money guys. And it is super fun because of the fact that it's a template inside a spreadsheet. Now, now, even though I'm a money geek, I'm not a spreadsheet guy. I move very fast. I like moving from project to project, much like Tate does, but mm-hmm. I don't I, I really don't want to dig into, the, into a spreadsheet. So what I was able to do with Tiller was to make things much more quick and easy. You press a button every day, automatically everything downloads into this template. If I don't like a, a category, I can merge it with another category, make it more simple. But if you're the opposite of me if you're the average money nerd you can have all the charts and graphs that you want and it's the same subscription fee for both and unlike some of the big boys out there who are constantly Mm -hmm. selling you stuff while you get your quote free subscription you know you don't have to worry about that so for a free 30-day trial head to tillerhq.com forward slash mwf for money with friends tillerhq.com forward slash mwf Dude, it's been a fantastic last four months. What's what is what's our takeaway from going from the minors to the majors here?
1: My big takeaway uh, on all of it is that to be grateful, right? That's all I can say. Uh, for all your situations in life, there's one thing I learned about 2020. Uh, I, I uh, 2019 was not a great year for me, or at least I thought so personally. Uh, I was very frustrated creatively. I felt very stagnant. Um, I wanted to find a new outlet, but uh, you know, 2020 is a totally different world. You know what I mean? And you expect things to be exactly, um, as they are and they'll be there for you, but you know, you need to be present and be grateful for the things that you have in the moment. And, uh, not, not every day is promised tomorrow. Definitely is not promised. And, uh, I think that's all I can say. I mean, it's been a wild world in 2020, but, uh, I'm grateful to have this podcast and this platform and it's been a great four months, Joe.
0: All uh, all those 2020 predictions. I go back and look at them now, and I'm like, Who would have thought? Corey we digging, all <laughs> <I know>, right. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, and my takeaway. With, I'm going to let Chris uh, on our YouTube channel have my takeaway. He said that I need to 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 thank you for giving the people what they want.
1: Yes, got to give the people what they want. Jalen Jacoby, that was my first PA job. Uh, They're the greatest. Uh, Jalen Jacoby are everything you see on TV. They're great people. They're great hosts. And uh, it's a great show. So I appreciate that. Great note at the end.
0: Well, speaking of great shows, let's talk about college basketball because that's right around the corner and college basketball fans got some good news. You Mm -hmm. talk about college basketball on an ongoing basis with another basketball fanatic.
1: Yeah, that's right. Mark Titus, myself, Titus and Tate is the name of the podcast twice a week. College basketball will be officially back November 25th. And we're there every single every single dribble, every single second, every single thing that happens off the court. We're talking about it. So Titus and Tate, please, please uh, tune in.
0: It's a fantastic show. Uh, we'll link to it on our website site, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. Uh, by the way, just one thing. To, you guys got to talk about Michigan State basketball just more often. We just will. More we often. Will. We we will. We love Tom
1: Izzo. Tom Izzo (laughs) loves us too. He told us, uh, what did he call us? He called us something that was basically just like absolute buffoons this year. the And, uh, it wasn't buffoon, but it was even better word. And I, and he walked away and I was like, man, Tom Izzo must love us.
0: (laughs) I think we're going to close it on that. This show's created and hosted by us, Joe Salcihi and Bobby Rebel, and it's edited and produced by Ashley Wall. Money with Friends is a product of Money with Friends LLC. Copyright 2020.